Welcome back, guys, to another episode of True Crime on Easy Street. My name's Kelly, and I'm not a doctor. What's your last name? I forget. It's Me too. I think My name's Scott, and I'm a mediocre journalist. And I'm well, Katie. I'm not a lawyer. Is that what okay. we're doing now? Yeah. Just, we're sure. on a first-name basis with everybody. All of our listeners are our friends and family, and uh, we're on a first-name basis. And no one else? Is that what you're saying? I'm no. going to fix that when no. I go to the beach this no, no, week. No, no, no. I'm saying if you listen to us, you are okay. friends and family. I got you're you. You're both. Oh, you said so it you the know other us, way. You know us by uh, by our first names, right? Yeah. I would, yeah. And maybe some nicknames that we don't want to mention on the air. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> Depending <laughs> on who we're talking about. Exactly. And guys, it's Murdoch May. We are uh, the entire month of May. We need t-shirts. We are... <laughs> covering. Wait, we have t-shirts. The Murdoch family. We we are merch. Uh, email us if you want a t-shirt. <laughs> 20 bucks. <laughs> True crime on easy street at gmail.com. All right, just cut all that. Okay, so <laughs> last week, we gave you an introduction to the Murdoch family. And if you missed that episode, you need to pause yeah. this episode yeah. and you need to go back and you need to listen to the previous episode entitled Stephen Smith. Yeah, put your foot mm-hmm. on the brake and pull the emergency mm-hmm. brake. Don't go any further Stop. right now. Go back. Stop it. See you Stop next right week. Here. Yeah. Yes. And then, and then come back and join us right here. Or see you in 53 minutes. Yeah, exactly. That was about how long that one yeah, was last that's week. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll wait for you. Yeah, we'll be right here. <laughs> and munching on these fantastic uh, uh, nachos and salsa and mm-hmm. um, queso yeah. that we got right across the street at Easy Street. We've got a brand new general manager over at Easy Street, Jason Van Troost. He's from Georgia. Okay. Uh, he's brand new. Um, he's going to make this fantastic place. I think the phrase that Jason used was, thanks for handing me the keys to your Ferrari, guys. I'm going to try to make it a little better. We do have a Ferrari over there next door, but Jason's going to put some wax on the hood and polish the tires and make it even better. But welcome to the Easy Street family, Jason Van Troost. Yeah, welcome. Don't ask me how to spell it or what it means. I meant to do both of those things and I forgot. (laughs) Well, all righty. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to eat a nacho here in just a moment when I give... Scott, the <laughs> stop that. No one wants to, it's right in front of your face. No one wants to hear crunching. Um, all right, so Scott is going to take the lead here to begin this week. Uh, this week, when we discuss the Murdochs, we are going to discuss. Gloria Satterfield. Yeah, something that happened really before um, before the Murdoch story broke into the wide wide open the way that it did in uh, what the summer of twenty one. I mean, really, I think so. I think it was yeah. on the radar around twenty eighteen, but it really became a national phenomenon in twenty twenty one. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. that folks in South Carolina were talking about it back in February of twenty eighteen, which is when uh, tonight's incident took place. Yes. So on February the 2nd of uh, 2018, there is a 911 call that gets placed from the Murdoch family home uh, there in Hampton County. Mm-hmm. And so what we will find out as we hear this uh, phone call tonight, which goes on for several minutes, but we're going to try to figure out the, the most pertinent information that our listeners need to hear to help us tell our story. But what happens is uh, this 57-year-old woman, her name is Gloria Satterfield. She has been a, uh, a housekeeper and a nanny to the very wealthy Murdoch family for over 20 years. Considers herself sort of a member of the family. She has two uh, 
young boys of her own who are pretty much grown up at this point there. One is in his uh, early thirties, I think. And the other is in his late twenties. Kelly, you'll tell me if I get a number wrong there. She's just always been around this family. In fact, uh, the younger son, Paul, that we will talk to you more about in future episodes, uh, was a child for most of the time when Gloria was there. And they had pet nicknames for each other. I think that Gloria called Paul Papa and Paul called Gloria Go-Go. Go-Go. And Paul is the youngest of Alec Murdoch. He is the younger of the two Mm -hmm. Murdoch boys. We've got Buster, who's about three years older than Paul. So uh, Paul was a teenager when the events that we're going to talk about today uh, took place back in February of 18. So Gloria... She's been a housekeeper there for a long time with the uh, with the Murdoch family, and she is, we think, headed into the house to take care of her housekeeping duties that day. And according to the story that Alec Murdoch tells later, um, his his hunting dogs get a little agitated, get a little excited, and somehow manage, unfortunately, to knock her off of the brick steps leading into the front of their house, and she falls and hits her head, and has to go to the hospital. And that's that's what we think happened. And, and you'll kind of hear this on this 911 call, but they're at their house that they call Moselle. And yeah. it's on Moselle Road in Hampton County. So that's, um, and and they have the kennels, dog kennels. Several hundred there. yards away. Mm-hmm. But that's where they their dogs so, are. And as I understand it, his wife, Maggie, it was one of her favorite homes of the many homes that the Murdochs had yeah. during this time. And, and you know, just another of the tragedies, and I hope I'm not telling this part of the story out of uh, order, but there were times in Gloria Satterfield's life where, as she was raising her two boys alone, despite the fact that she was working for this very wealthy family, very prominent family in the low country in South Carolina, she lost her house at one point, you know, just didn't quite make enough to make ends meet for whatever rhyme or reason, but still felt like these people were her family over the course of a couple of decades while she worked for them. Gloria was very devoted to the Murdochs for over 20 years. That's where her mind was when this tragedy, unfortunately, unfolded for Gloria and her family. All right. So Katie, play it for us. 24 a.m. 38 seconds, February 2, 2018. She's not responding. 
Okay, I just, uh, I probably have them on the way. You ask some questions, does not slow them down, man. Knowing that she's conscious is one of the things that the medic needs to know if she's responding at all to you. No. Okay, so she's not responsive at all. Well, I mean, she's mumbling. Okay, so she is somewhat conscious. Um, is she breathing okay? Yes. Is she bleeding from anywhere? Yes, her head. Okay, are you guys able to control the bleeding? No. Can you put any rag or anything on it? Uh, yeah, I got it. Okay, is she bleeding from, like, her face, the back of the head, I'm or the head? Sir, my man, what? Where exactly is she bleeding from on her head? I'm not sure, the top of her head. Okay. Can I have your name and phone number? Or are you able to no. bring the phone down by her? What? Are you on a cell phone where you can walk down there and call cell phone? No. Okay, can you bring it with you so we can ask her some questions about what kind of pain she's having? Hello? Yeah, can, can you ask the patient what kind of pain she's having? Then she can't call. Okay, do you know... She scratched her head and there's blood on the concrete and she bleeds out of her left ear. Okay, she's bleeding out of her ear. And out of her head, she scratched her skull. Okay. All right, the other lady said that she tried to stand up and fell down again? No, she, I would hold her up. And okay. She told me to turn her loose and she was trying to use her own, but then she fell back over. Okay, do you guys know who she is? Yes, yeah, she works for us. Okay, do you know if she's ever had a stroke or anything before? Ma'am, can you stop asking her questions? I already have them on the way. I already have them on the way. Me questions does not slow them down in any way. These are relevant questions that I have to ask for the ambulance. One of my questions is, has she ever had a stroke? I don't believe she's ever had a stroke, not that I know Okay. That. Okay, is she able to talk to you guys at all, or is she unconscious now? She's not unconscious. She's just mumbling. Okay. I believe she's maybe hit her head and had maybe a concussion or something. Okay. Maybe. Do you know what her name is? Gloria Satterfield. You said Sanderfield? Ma'am? You said Sanderfield? Satterfield. Satterfield. Okay. What's the house that's like out there? It's, it's, a, um, it's all set off the road. Okay. It's a big house that I'm on the driveway. For the long driveway? Uh, yeah. Um, is there a gate or anything down there that they're going to need to there come through? No, there's no brick columns that have to come through. Okay, but there's no, like, gate code or anything that they need? No, ma'am. In terms okay. of they can look for a thumb on a 656 range. Okay. Waiting on them in the road is green. You know, they, they probably know what the range looks like. Yeah. You said, like, down on, the flat, down on the flat sweater, okay. a hat, and pants. Okay. All right. All right. Um, if, if something changes with her, if she loses consciousness or anything like that, I need one of you guys to call me back right away, okay? Okay, well, how about how long is it going to take? That I don't know. I've had them on the way since, since Maggie first called me. They were calling right away. Okay. All right, so they're, I think they're coming, oh, hang on one minute, let me check. 
They're coming from somewhere on Belt Highway in Russia, okay? That's what their station is. Thank you. All right, but like I said, if something changes, call me back. Okay. All right, so that was the 911 call, and the first voice that you hear is Maggie Murdoch calling about her housekeeper, and then who gets on the phone afterwards is her youngest son, Paul right. Murdoch. And so there was that was a long 911 call, but there were a couple of reasons that I wanted to include that. And one of the reasons was I wanted to focus on the fact that this woman has worked for them for over 20 years, and Maggie really doesn't know how old she is. That, that seems like me. an oversight. That bothers me. Okay. That bothers me. All right. Okay. And then, as you'll notice, when Paul gets on the phone, you, you see and Paul and Maggie both, they're very, very agitated about the questions. They don't want the questions, and they kind of, you know. Yeah. And the, I get they it, jump I, at the the operator, and the operator says that they're they're on the way. This does not slow anybody down. Yeah, but I was thinking the same damn thing. I'm like, why don't you tell me as soon as I call nine one one? Hey, I've got an ambulance on the way. Now I need to ask you twenty questions. That would be helpful because people because probably, I'm thinking the same thing. Where's the fucking ambulance? Stop talking to me. Yeah. Hey, so but, lead with that. But but also they don't say that, and they they don't ask her how can I help her. Oh, you know, you'll hear a lot in 911 calls, hey, she's bleeding from her head. You know, what do I need to do? Right. They can't even get a general direction from Maggie. Oh, where yeah. is she bleeding? I don't know, on her head. You know, she well, says top of her head. To- on the top of her head, I don't know. And then then she falls again while they're on the 911 call. I don't know if you caught that. Paul is holding her up and he says that Gloria tells him to let her go. Because yeah. then Maggie says, well, she just fell again. So she falls going up the steps and then apparently she falls again down the steps. I think she was sitting down and they tried to raise her up from the waist up and she felt like, okay, I can sit up and that's when they let... And I'm look, we're all just... This is all conjecture, but I don't think they tried to foot her back up the stairs and let her fall down the stairs again. No, but it's but, just very interesting to me that right. he was holding her and then she fell down the stairs again and then... Did you, and if you listen to how it was said, yeah, she just fell down the stairs again. Like maybe okay, I'm just maybe a more dramatic that. person, I guess, than 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 Maggie Murdoch. Well, you know, we, we all know how. But also, they had just said how the Murdochs have turned talk. out to be. She can't talk. She's mumbling. But then they say she says, "Put you know, or you know, put me down, or or, or let me go, or whatever." Like he said, she talked to him. How is she? How is she not able to talk to the nine one one operator to tell her her level of pain? But she can tell Paul Murdoch, "Let me go." I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me. I'm sorry. I, I'm picking this apart, but. You know, and I don't, I, you know, 911 calls, you can't read a whole lot into them, I know, because people are in the moment and it's, it's very, yeah, everybody's, know, everybody's in shock. Everybody's panicked. It's high Nobody stress. sounds panicked or shocked in this call. Well, to okay. Me. Fair no. enough. All right, Scott, I will let you continue on. Okay. So that happens on February the 2nd, 2018. And so they fly her. Eventually, after a, a stop at a, at a local hospital, they realize, hey, we need more trauma care than we can provide here. So they fly in the helicopter and they take her to Trident Hospital, which I can only assume if you have a helicopter is one of the better medical facilities in the state of South Carolina, like UAB would be here. I mean, that's where you go in pretty much anywhere in Alabama if you are major trauma in a car accident mm-hmm. or, or whatever. Yep. So she's flown there. 
she never really regains consciousness. She can never really explain her side of the story that happened. Uh, and then three weeks later, she has a subdural hematoma and passes away sadly without ever really fully regaining consciousness or being able to speak to her to her family members or her two sons, Tony Satterfield and Brian Harriet. Mm-hmm. H-A-R-R-I-O-T-T, I think, are her two sons. Uh, so she's never able to speak to them again before she passes away. And one of the things that you will have, uh, that you will hear noted if you listen to any other podcasts about this section of the Murdoch tragedy is that it seems like the Murdoch family didn't seem as concerned about the loss of Gloria Satterfield as the rest of her family might have thought they would, considering that she'd been a member of the family for the last 20 years as a housekeeper and nanny and had nicknames for the kids. And only uh, Maggie went to visit her at one point in the hospital during the yes. three weeks that she the, was down. The lawyer, and none of the boys did. Right. The lawyer for the Satterfields told the Murdoch Murders podcast that um, they were very, the sons were very upset. And Gloria's sister, her siblings... They were very upset because Maggie's the only one that came to see her in the hospital. She was never visited by Buster or Paul or Alec Murdoch, according to this lawyer. Maybe that family connection wasn't as close Mm -hmm. as they think. Well, and in her obituary, she lists the Murdochs after her family. So, you you know, you have the survived by and it lists her sons and it lists her siblings and and her family. And then it says, and those she loved as her family, Alec and Maggie Murdoch and and their family, Randolph and Libby Murdoch, you know, and, right. and it lists these people as part of her family in her obituary. Yeah. Well, I don't want to... Uh... I don't want to spoil the ending, but it turns out Alec Murdoch is a piece of shit. So uh, yeah, <laughs> spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So don't be so surprised, or you won't be so surprised that he didn't go to the hospital when we get to the end of this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so that's what happened. She passes away, and then at the actual funeral itself, according to a couple of different podcasts that I went through, Alex Murdoch. I'm sorry, I keep saying Alex because it's an X, but it's... It's spelled A-L-E-X. But it's pronounced Alec. Everybody, Alec his Murdoch. family members that I've seen and heard, they say Alec. And Alec it's, Murdoch. And it's spelled Murdoch, but it is pronounced Murdoch. Mm-hmm. So anyway, if, if there's some confusion there, and if you listen to these different podcasts from these different sources, they're all going to screw up the names multiple times. But the, <laughs> the way the family says it, Alec Murdoch. Mm-hmm. And they actually more or less say Alec, Alec Murdoch. Yeah, actually, they kind of mm-hmm. do. I noticed that. Alec, they almost say Alec. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway, so so at the funeral, Alec Murdoch walks up to Brian and Tony and says, "Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna do you guys a favor. Do you a solid. You've been in the family for a long time. I've got a friend who's an attorney. I'm gonna get you hooked up with him, and." You guys are going to sue my insurance company that I have my insurance policy at my house with. This is going to be a, uh, uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for, uh, Katie? A uh, personal injury. Wrongful death. Wrongful death uh, case. And I am going to admit fault. Mm -hmm. You guys are going to get a ton of money and I'm going to take care of you. But just don't tell anybody that I've told you this. Mm -hmm. Okay. But yeah, on the down low. Yep. Yeah. Because we don't want to get in trouble for breaking the law in the state of South Carolina. And as I understand it, he not only said this to her sons, but 
Her whole family's sitting there. Yeah. And he an aunt and an uncle. And mm-hmm. yeah, just trust me, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Mm-hmm. I've got this under control. I will take care of you. Yeah. And they do. And they do. So Alex Murdoch calls his friend Corey Fleming. They set up this uh, this plan for the Satterfield boys to sue the Murdoch family for the wrongful death of their mother at the hands of Alec Murdoch's dogs. That's the story he tells the Satterfield children. And so that happens that those balls start to drop into the right slots. The everything starts to happen, but it turns out that a couple of years later, we find out they never got that money. And that sounds crazy. You may wonder how did they not get that money? What happened? Well, when Gloria passed, she had two sons and one of them would have been her personal representative in this matter. Since Gloria is not here to represent herself, that's why it's not a personal injury case. It's why it's a wrongful death case because she is not alive. Okay. And so... So it's her estate. Her estate, yes. And so someone has to represent her estate. Um, Her oldest son cannot do it. And then so it goes to Tony, her youngest son, and he becomes the personal representative. The estate employs Corey Fleming to represent it in this case. He's the one who gets them, who's getting them this insurance payout. He is the one who is suing Alec Murdoch. Um, He represents the estate. So he tells Tony, he says, hey, this is going to get complicated. There's going to be a lot of money to deal with. And it's just a complicated matter. I think it would be better if we had someone who works at the bank, if we had a banker be the personal representative. It's going to be easier. This is going to be a lot of work for you and it'll make everything a lot easier and simpler for everybody if we have a banker do this. Tony's like, okay. So Tony recuses himself. Because he doesn't know. I mean, he trusts this guy who has been in his family or uh, considered a member of the family for 20 years who is an attorney. Hey, if you say I need to do this, you got it. Right. Mm -hmm. Because once again, remember, Alec Murdoch took him to Corey Fleming so he thinks this is all, you know, this is all coming from Alec. Yes, basically. this is, in his mind, this is Alec Murdoch taking care of him. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he recuses himself as the personal representative and in walks Chad Westendorf, who is an employee of Palmetto State Bank, and he becomes the new personal representative for the estate of Gloria Satterfield. Which means he's the guy who can sign documents and mm-hmm. he, he speaks for... For the estate. Glorious Satterfield's estate. Yes. Now, Katie, let me just take a break here and ask one question mm-hmm. to our not-a-lawyer expert here. Mm-hmm. How common is this that a banker will represent someone's estate when they have living relatives, such as her sons? Is this common? I asked that question, and no, not really. I mean, it is a thing. It's not, so it's not completely it's, unheard of. It's not of. completely unheard of, no. And a lawyer sometimes can do it. Okay. A banker can do it. Or a competent family member will gotcha. do it. Um, I, you see a lot of lawyers doing it. Because a personal representative, there is work involved. Mm-hmm. So there is work involved. They usually get paid okay. from the estate. If the estate has money in it, a personal representative can get... In the state of Alabama now, I didn't, couldn't find documentation for South Carolina, but it's probably pretty close. Can get paid up to like five percent of what the of the what the estates it's were. It's five in Alabama, right? Yeah, five in Alabama. I think so, it's ten in Georgia. Okay. So 
but what you're saying is it's more commonly a lawyer. That's what I see here. A banker. Yes, that's what I, yeah. It's kind of, um, it makes you raise your eyebrow that it's this banker. Random guy okay. who has no, gotcha. no, affiliate, no affiliation with this So the case. Satterfield boys don't request this person. No. They don't and know this person. I don't my think knowledge, they know to do it. To my knowledge, they never, they never met this person because usually when a person recuses themselves as personal representative, they're appointing the next representative. Yeah, I can't do this, but I'm going to appoint someone that I know and trust to do this mm-hmm. for me. But again, they're acting with the people that they believe are going to take care of them. That's who they thought they were getting. Yes. Because of Alec Murdoch's connection to the family. Correct. Why would I why would I steer you guys in the wrong direction? Right. And I am just throwing out words out here, but if for those who don't know a, a personal representative uh or sometimes known as a legal personal representative is the executor of or administrator for the estate of a deceased person, and they are to serve as fiduciaries of the beneficiaries of estates and have the duty to act in good faith with honesty, loyalty, and candor, and in the best interest of the estate's beneficiaries. So they are supposed to act in the best interest of the estate's beneficiaries. That's, that's the main that's statement the boys, there. So she, she died without a will, which means she died intestate, which means that the only two living relatives that she have that are going to get any thing that she's got left are her two sons. And so this Westendorf yes. is supposed to do what you just read. That, yes. that definition, that's his job. That honorable thing that, mm-hmm. that Katie just read is okay. what Westendorf was supposed to do. Got it. Now, technically, Corey Fleming, his duty is, to, he is to inform the personal representative. That is like his contact in this case. So Chad Westendorf is his contact, but Chad Westendorf is supposed to act in the best interest of the beneficiaries. You'll hear a lot of recordings and interviews and you you can read things on what Corey Fleming has to say about this. And he'll say that his client is the personal representative. Technically, his client is the estate and he's supposed to act in the best interest of the estate, not, not the personal representative. Of her sons. Right. Yeah. And so, Westendorf is in charge of the estate's money and the distribution of checks from any settlement that comes in. Okay. So when they sue Alec, he immediately admits fault. Westendorf does. No. Oh, uh, Murdoch does. When so when Fleming and who is representing the estate uh-huh. sues Alec Murdoch, it he turns it over to his insurance company, and you. he immediately to his insurance company admits fault. So that makes his insurance company say, "Well, we've got a they they're not gonna." They can't fight now. They've got to try to reach a settlement because, because he he's ha- admitted. Yes. And I was talking to Shane about this earlier and he said, red flag number one, you have an attorney immediately admitting fault to something like that's just not something that happens. I mean, right. And we want to, we want, I want to provide this bit of information. Shane doesn't know this case. No. Shane, Shane doesn't, pay attention to our podcast not much, at all much no, like he's, he's not uh, going to hear this yeah much like kt yeah um my husband but um you know that's neither here nor there yeah right. but um but he doesn't know this case ahead of time and he's already saying that this is a red flag yeah, yeah. with no other knowledge than what katie has been giving him red well, flag shane givens is a mediocre attorney i'll give him that <laughs> <laughs> but we have in this settlement, 
we have Judge Perry Buckner, who is a well-known friend of the family of the Murdochs. And he approves the partial settlement of $505,000 from Ellick's insurance company to be paid to the estate. Later on, after a mediation, we find out that another settlement is reached in this case. Okay. And it has a payout of $4.3 million. Wow. That's, that's quite a jump. That is approved by a second judge named Judge Carmen Mullen. Okay. And in this case, uh, $2.8 million of that settlement was to go to the Satterfield boys, to the estate, so to Gloria's to her sons. sons. $2.8 yeah. million of that. The remaining uh, would go to Corey, Corey Fleming for his attorney's fees and everything okay. like that. Yeah. Um, 30000 of it was to go to Chad Westendorf for his role as personal representative. The there was a hundred and five thousand dollars out of that that was just prosecution expenses, and I want to preface this by saying when you just have a round good round number hundred five thousand dollars for prosecution expenses, that doesn't fly. And no judge, no judge usually will approve that. A good round number like that means you're not keeping up with your books. You just, well, that's what I was thinking because attorneys at it. Mm-hmm. attorneys are paid based on their time, right? And so it's going to come down to some some change, right? And now in like a settlement like this, he would get a percentage. But this, I'm not even talking about his percentage that mm-hmm. would have been agreed upon to begin with. This was just a expense. That he had on the dis on, like, like researcher copies or they called it prosecution expenses. Yeah, and this they are not like, they're not itemized, which they sh- absolutely should be. Yeah, this sounds like my uh, when you order tickets for somewhere and then there's like a mm-hmm. a fee for this and a fee for that yeah. and a fee, you know yeah it always ends the resort up in class fee is action. a beach towel and it's forty bucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm keeping that beach towel. That always ends up yeah. in a class action lawsuit, right? You know because there's handling fees and this, well, it, you know. it just seemed like that was something. And I'm, I'm curious to know what Katie thinks about this. It just seems like that was something that happened over and over in this situation. Mm-hmm. That there were more. There was more than Alec Murdoch and Corey Fleming and. Uh, the other guy, Westerfield, Westendorf. Westendorf, who were involved in this because there were a lot of things that had to get swept under the rug, a lot of uh, legal agreements that weren't signed properly or weren't. There's a bunch of stuff that didn't happen right. There was a, there's a whole bunch of rotten apples in this barrel. Mm. Well, 50000 of it was to go straight back to the probate court to go through Glory's estate to pay for, to pay for her time that she survived so she three weeks in the hospital right and that's only fifty thousand dollars she had six hundred and seventy five thousand dollars worth of medical bills in three weeks in three weeks that they didn't i see you three weeks i bet you yeah wow and they didn't they they didn't allot that amount to go to pay the medical bills which is medicaid fraud because her settlement more than covered yes. those medical bills. Yeah. So with a settlement that large and they didn't allot the correct amount for medical bills is already a red flag. I mean, it's Medica- It's it's literally Medicaid fraud. And this ne- it's just never brought up. The, like her medical bills are never brought up in this court case. And whose job is it to bring up those bills and to make sure all this is itemized appropriately? I guess it's somebody in the circuit it, clerk's it, well, office, right? 
Or no, 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 no. That should be Fleming's job. That's the that's the okay. lawyer's job. Yes. Okay. That's why he makes the big bucks. <laughs> you know exactly. That's one way to make the big bucks, I guess. Yeah. And then Westendorf's job would be to pay those bills, write those checks, write cut those, those checks, checks. Mm-hmm. and out of this account that has all of this money in it, right? Out of the estate in. account. So mm-hmm. the the per- that's why he so the hospitals paid, the lawyers mm-hmm. paid, the sons are paid. The whatever that weird fee is paid, you know, being a personal representative. I mean, it's work. Like I said, that's why they are entitled to a fee because it is work. You do. I mean, you have Mm -hmm. to keep up with accounts. You have to, you know, I've had to do it. It's a pain in the ass. Yeah, it really is. But that's because you're an honest person and you did it correctly. Well, I think I did. (laughs) (laughs) But this settlement that we're talking about, the petition for this settlement. If you go to pull it up, it doesn't even have a court case number stamped on it. It doesn't have a docket number on it. There's no court stamp. If you know anything about legal papers, there should be a stamp on it that has dates and times and and the court case number on it. This petition is signed by the personal representative, but that is it. Usually, I mean, a judge cannot hear a motion or petition if it's not filed. The first thing they do in court is the judge opens their file and they're like, hey, what are we here for today? What's what's going on? And the and they reference that petition. And if it's not filed, they would say, hey, do your job and get back to me. But no, they, they have this court case. Yeah, this this. And th- there's not even a filed document to go by. So how, um, so they, they still have this court case regardless, without a number, without everything. And then this judge, what was the judge's name again? Her name, was it a, was Carmen, it a she? Carmen yeah. Mullen. Yeah. So Carmen Mullen says, I award you $4.3 million. Yes. I approve this. I approve, yes. I approve because they have, yes. they've agreed on this $4.3 million settlement after a mediation. And then they send it to the insurance company? They send all this, or is the insurance company on the phone? The uh, the they had a mediation okay. previously with okay. the insurance company, all right, and everyone, and they agreed to the settlement. It goes before the judge, the judge, and the judge is approved. So then the uh, then the insurance company issues the money, right? Okay, and yeah, they send a check. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, they send it to Katie. You got this part. The, the, they send it to Corey Fleming because okay. he's their attorney. There you go. And Corey Fleming should cut that check to how this should work is cut it to Chad Westendorf. Okay. To, to right. divvy out all the money. Right. Got it. And just one more thing with these documents is immediately after this takes place, Alec Murdoch's name is taken off of all of this. He's supposed to be on here as a defendant. Yeah, because he's the one they sued. And his name is just removed. Huh. Is it blacked out or is it, rem- there's new documents typed or? Well, I'm going to guess it's new documents, I'm but going I don't to, know Yeah, that. I haven't actually, yes. I have. Well, then who the heck is named as the I think they just defendant. take it so like it's it's not like where if you search for Alex Murdoch, it doesn't, or Alec Murdoch, it doesn't pull. Yeah. Okay. So when the money is distributed, Alec comes to Corey Fleming. And says, hey, we need to, uh, we're going to do a uh, structured settlement for the boys. 
And this is a normal thing to do in a case where there's a lot of money like this. So they, the boys have almost $2.8 million that they are going to get paid out. And Alex's like, we're going to do a structure settlement. I have this company I know named Forge Consulting LLC out of Atlanta. And they are going to handle this. We're going to get some, we're going to get an annuity going. It's going to be a structured settlement. And so they'll get paid out, you know, a little, you know, a little at a time instead of one big lump sum settlement. Sounds wonderful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like I said, this, that's not uncommon. That happens. Right. Okay. But Alec Murdoch has no business involving yeah. himself in this. He's the defendant in this yeah, case. And, and who is he to say that the sons need to be paid a little bit at a time? They need to be the ones that decide, do I want it all in one yes. lump sum or well, do I want to do this? Well, but again, it's that level of trust that the so the, the, that so glorious a, boys have for Alec Murdoch. So that, their attorney, Corey Fleming, who is, is, taking, is direction. taking directions from the defendant at this point. Absolutely. Yes. How ludicrous is this? You told me not to say it, but stick around. <laughs> the, the boys don't know any of this is going on. No, because they're not lawyers. Right. And Nobody knows this kind of thing. The boys don't know any of this is going on. And Westendorf doesn't get any paperwork from anyone. He is told, cut this check to Forge Consulting LLC, send it to this address, and that's the end of it. And, does, and is... It, where is the address it's that this check goes to? But it's it, a P.O. box. It's a P.O. box. Where? Where is the P.O. box? That I didn't, I didn't get that far Because this Forge Company is supposedly out of Atlanta. In Atlanta. But the P.O. box is where? It's in Hampton. Oh, you knew that? Uh, yeah, I knew that. Really? You're just stringing us along yeah, and you already knew the damn answer? The P.O. box is in Hampton. <sighs> Cut this check for this company in Atlanta. That was mean. And That's the P.O. Right. box is in Hampton. <laughs> yep. P.O. box, something, something, something. Right. Hampton. And yeah. South Carolina. And he asks for no paperwork on this. Nothing. He just cuts the check and moves on. How many, I mean, like this banker is just going to cut the check for this large amount of money and have no paperwork to go with it. It seems ridiculous to me as well, <laughs> uh, Kelly, but maybe he just, this guy's in on the... He's either in on it or he trusts the people who are giving him these instructions. I can't even deposit money into the bank without proper I know. identification. Oh, know putting money into it. And that's bullshit, by the way. If Kelly Turner ever comes in and wants to deposit <laughs> money in my account, folks at Regents Bank, you let her go right ahead and do that. I'll give you the account number right now. I'm just now. saying, you can't no, no, even put money in without mm-hmm. yeah. providing all this documentation. Yeah. They're going to Much get, less cut a check cut for 30 che- G's. For... for no, not 30 G's. It's for oh, $2.8 no, no, million. Yeah, that's what million. Westendorf made on this whole thing. He made 30 G's on this right. whole thing. Right. I yeah. have to send large amounts of money places a lot uh, for really, I, for what I do for a living. And there is documentation. You, How I much mean, paperwork does it require, Katie? Oh, yeah. I mean, I do this all day. And does your banker ever say, no, nah, you're good. I'm just going to cut the check. It's okay. Yeah, no, but I, I, <laughs> I don't cut checks like that. Like people, if people are like, yes, send this money here. And I'm like, mm, that's not how this works. <laughs> like, yeah. you know. Yeah. Let that be a lesson to everyone yeah. listening. Yeah, don't you know <laughs> don't what a bad that. idea that is? Listen to a, the True Crime on Easy Street podcast. Uh, <laughs> season two, episode 17. We'll tell you all about it. Get whatever documentation. The number is. Get yeah. documentation. Yeah. 
it comes to light that Forge Consulting LLC was actually Alec Murdoch. <laughs> now, there is a legitimate... There is a legitimate Forge Consulting LLC. But not LLC, but, but not these the, guys. Their P.O. box is not in Hampton. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Alec Murdoch opens a bank account and DBAs it as Forge. Yeah. And so he gets this check, signs the back of it, deposits it, lives happily ever after. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. I a just little feel dirty telling the story. Uh, I'm with you. So to feel even more dirty <laughs> as we continue I, I don't know story, how, but yeah, give it a shot. Let's get even more dirty. Gloria's death was not reported to the coroner and an autopsy was not performed. And... The big deal about this is when an investigative team from WTOC looked into this, um, Hampton County law states that an accidental death is cause for an autopsy. Mm -hmm. So there should have been an autopsy ordered because when you have a trip and fall, that's accidental death. Absolutely. How did this get through through two settlements without her cause of death? death coming up i have no idea but here's a statement from the current coroner angela topper she was the deputy coroner at the time that this happened and ernie washington was the coroner but anyways from her office now here's a quote the descendant's death was not reported to the coroner at the time nor was an autopsy performed on the death certificate the manner of death was ruled quote natural which is inconsistent with injuries sustained in a trip and fall incident. So the manner of death was listed as natural causes on Gloria's death certificate. And they and they were able to file a wrongful death suit with that document being there. That That's makes well, again, no it never, sense. It was never filed, right? That's the gag here. They never filed the document. They, they just, never filed her death certificate? Well, I'm not saying the death certificate, but as you mentioned earlier, like the, the proper paperwork wasn't done when the settlements were reached. True. Right? But they so shouldn't have So maybe that's even, how they snuck around it. The, how the insurance company agreed to pay out before... I'm with that, you on that. I don't, it seems like the insurance company would be the brick wall that would stop this insanity from happening, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason, it was not. And I, I'm guessing it's because he immediately admitted. It has to be. To, to wrongful. Just to no which fault. Is, which is what Shane called our very first red flag there. Yeah. No, no, he admitted to fault. He admitted to I'm fault. I'm sorry. Yeah, he admitted, admitted admission of fault. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's what mm-hmm. I meant. Yeah. He didn't even stutter. Yes, my fault. Yeah, we did it. My so, dogs did it. Um. As this WTOC team continues to investigate, you know, what does a coroner do and what does a coroner not do? Because a lot of people, when all this starts coming to light, they're wanting to, you know, get a hold of the coroner's office. And they're like, hold up. It wasn't reported to us. Yeah. Um, so this individual that they talked to uh, is the executive director of the South Carolina Coroner's Association. And his name is Gary Watts. And he says... That the coroner and the solicitor can order an autopsy regardless of the family's wishes. Did you catch that other? The uh-huh. solicitor? Right. Who did we talk about last week? It's been a solicitor for 80-something years. The Murdoch family. Okay. All right. Just saying. Yeah. All right. So, 
If the coroner feels an autopsy isn't necessary, then they don't actually have to do one if the family were to request it. Even if they requested one and the coroner says, I don't think so. I don't feel like it's necessary. We're not doing it. However, in Gloria's case, because it was an accidental death, an autopsy should have been done because that's that is part of their law. But with it saying natural causes on the death certificate. Well, I heard one interview uh, just this afternoon with someone who is uh, in the coroner's office in the state of South Carolina. And uh, it was on that podcast that I told you about earlier that uh, unsolved South Carolina, mm-hmm. whatever. And, and we'll put it in our show notes. Yeah. As and, a reference. and the lady said, she said, honestly, she said, look, Sometimes these kinds of things fall through the cracks. It, mm-hmm. She was there for three weeks. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it actually gets lost at the hospital, mm-hmm. just in the confusion about why you ended up there to start with. And so when she passed away from a subdural hematoma or a stroke or a blood clot or whatever it was specifically about her injury that caused her to pass away, mm-hmm. some doctor may, you know, he may have been the new guy and just said, well, she died from this. Mm-hmm. And so you check natural death on the death certificate. And that's how that could have fallen through the cracks. Not mm-hmm. saying that it did, but it's a plausible that's explanation true, yeah. That, yeah. that she said, listen, unfortunately, this happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary Watts says that coroners handle suspicious deaths, deaths outside a medical facility, deaths that occur in a medical facility within 24 hours of admission, or deaths right. in a medical facility if the person was admitted due to suspicious or unnatural causes. There you, There's the so, one that got through. Mm-hmm. This one fell through. Yeah. Um, so you can you can go to WTOC.com and get more on that article that and a, more information if you want to. Is that a TV affiliate or a radio station? Um, it's a television affiliate. Okay. All right. So Watts says that typically a death like Satterfield's, a trip and fall, would be accidental. And these are quotes directly from this article from this WTOC. It says, he says, you'd have to document the injuries. I would say in a case like that, you'd want to do an autopsy to see what the actual cause of death. And so because that was not done, we're, we don't have Gloria's actual cause of death. And, and then her death certificate says natural causes. Or are you thinking that there may be a time down the road when I think it's suspicious as hell but is I, what I think. Now, I, there may be absolutely no wrongdoing. Yeah. I mean, but I you mean know, th- there's no evidence to suggest that these this hospital, you know, was was yeah. involved in any kind of this this ridiculousness that we talked about with Alec Murdoch and Corey Fleming and Westendorf. All right, so WTOC did receive a copy of Gloria Satterfield's death certificate, and it, you can see it there. And it, the death was acute subdural hemorrhage and an ischemic stroke. So I and listed that. as natural. I was afraid I made that up when I said it. No, that's that's ago. they right. did receive that, okay. and you can see a picture of it online. And uh, when a death is listed as natural, Watt says a coroner doesn't have to be notified and an autopsy isn't legally required. So this could have legitimately just fallen through the cracks, like you said, because mm-hmm. she had been there for three weeks. But it really, it really worked out very well. Yes. For Alec Murdoch. Yes. Yeah, like it seems like a lot of these things uh, did almost as if someone had their thumb on the scales of justice. Let me go back to Corey Fleming just for a moment. Okay, I know Katie's got some more information for us. Um, but Corey Fleming, 
last week we discussed the mysterious death of Stephen Smith and how the Highway Patrol was given the case because it was ruled a hit and run. But everybody who worked the crime scene, including the Highway Patrol, they were very adamant that this was not a hit and run. Didn't look like one. There was no evidence of that. So during this, the course of time, now this happened in 2015, so over over the years as that investigation has continued on um, and is still going on to this day, there have been some very interesting things that have happened. And one of the things that happened was a man named Patrick Wilson was named in the Stephen Smith investigation under very suspicious circumstances. Now his story, Patrick Smith, Patrick Wilson's story, it aligns with the hit and run theory. And what happens is, and you can hear the interviews with this if you listen to Murdoch Murders podcast. You can hear, you know, an interview with the person who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows Patrick. Right. Okay, so this is how all of this goes. So the story is, Patrick was drunk driving down the road and hit Stephen. And he later drunkenly, quote, confessed to a man who happens to be the stepfather of a Hampton County police officer or investigator or somebody. Wrong guy. Mm-hmm. To have a moment of clarity with. So um, then this gets um, communicated to the Highway Patrol, and then they have that whole interview recorded that you can listen to. Okay. Okay. Patrick Wilson allegedly was drunkenly confessing to this, to, to driving down the road and hitting Stephen Smith. Okay. Now we went through all of that last week about how. That was a dark road, and Stephen Smith was not intoxicated in any way, and he had to literally stand there and let something hit him in the middle of the road, and like it, a very fast-approaching vehicle. He was literally in the middle of the road when they found his body. Yes, and his loosely tied shoes were still on his feet. Mm-hmm. As the highway patrol said, this is not a hit and run. This is not a hit and run. We don't know why we're working this case. Right. Okay. Patrick Wilson had a lawyer. And that lawyer's name was Corey Fleming. Ah, see how you circled back there. Yeah. And so the hit and run story is the story that drew the attention away from the suspicion of Buster Murdoch, which is Alec Murdoch's oldest son. Mm -hmm. Which we talked about last week because there was some conjecture that perhaps the Murdoch boys had something to do Mm-hmm. With the untimely death, but of there there has Steven been no Smith. evidence to that. But this suspicious phenomenon of 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 Patrick coming yeah. into the story, um, falls in line with the hit and run. It's well, just always been very suspicious, and the fact that Corey was representing him and Corey, Corey, Corey. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll end this talking about Corey, Corey, who was. Longtime friend of Alec Murdoch's. Corey, who was a groomsman in his wedding. Godfather to Murdoch's youngest son, Paul. Mm-hmm. Murdoch's college roommate. At the end of this, claims that he and his law firm were duped by Murdoch. Said that, you know, he told me to send this money to this place, and I just listened to him. I thought he was doing the right thing for these boys. 
yeah, but I can hear that conversation taking place before this whole thing gets started. Hey, listen, if we ever get caught, I'm throwing you under the bus. <laughs> well, with a uh, 30-count indictment from the state grand jury charging Fleming with 18 criminal counts tied to theft of proceeds from two death settlements totaling $4.3 million meant for the late Gloria Satterfield's estate, he sure was trying to throw him under the bus because yeah. that is prison time waiting mm-hmm. to happen. Yes. Uh, there was testimony from Westendorf in a sworn deposition that said that uh, Fleming was not only aware of Murdoch's intentions, but he was actively participating in them. He uh, charges in the indictment seem to back up these claims that were in Westendorf's sworn depositions. Um, uh, Fleming now stands accused of obtaining money by fra- false pretenses, insurance fraud, money laundering, breach of trust, computer crimes, and criminal conspiracy and partnership with Alec Murdoch. That guy better learn to push a mop because his law license may be suspended. Oh, well, he's it's already suspended. Soon. Okay, good. Well, hey, good luck with that mop bucket, Fleming, you piece of shit. But he has paid back all the money that he made in this case paid back all the attorney's fees charged. He and his, any money that his firm made off this case has been paid back. And his firm's malpractice insurance has paid out full policy limits to the estate. And jacked up their monthly premiums. Oh, probably dropped them. (laughs) Yeah, probably dropped them out. So, am I also correct that his, he was a partner, but his name has been taken off of the firm? Yes, I believe that is, he was a partner, yes, but he, well, he's a, He's got yep. a suspended law license right now, so I'm sure they have done all they can to yeah, distance themselves. I bet they had from the him. sign guys out the next morning with a screwdriver or a mm-hmm. can of spray paint or a hammer and a chisel or something, getting that sign updated. Of course, his attorney in this case is claiming that he is innocent and that he's been cooperating with investigators throughout the whole process. And you know, they ever since they, they caught him with his hand in the cookie jar, yeah, they, they um, paid it all back. They, Did yeah, Gloria's they, sons get their payout? Now, it, yeah. yeah, I was about to say, now okay. they have their own attorney, Eric Bland, who is okay. representing them, mm-hmm. and he has he's filed all these suits against all the players in this case, mm-hmm. you know, Murdoch, Fleming, Fleming's Law Firm, Chad Westendorf, Palmetto State Bank, where Westendorf works. Everybody's throwing money at the Satterfield boys yes. right now to try to make this go away. It's over, what, six and a half million dollars they've they collected have already? Good, good for them. They have and, and won you know several what? settlements. Yeah. It turns out that they have an attorney, Eric Bland, who is taking care of them as someone promised them years ago their mother worked for for over 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. And, what a shame. And I hope I'm not. One of the things that Eric Bland says in one of the interviews that I saw is he has turned in Corey Fleming, or maybe he was the reason why Corey Fleming ended up with his law license suspended because he's like, look, I don't know this guy, but he did the wrong thing. And I am duty sworn as a lawyer in the state of South Carolina. If I see another attorney violating his oath of conduct, mm-hmm. I'm supposed to tell the state bar about it. Well, he's probably not the only one. And probably this, not. This attorney's but he's the name, most vocal one. This Eric, is Bland. Eric Bland. That's Eric, Eric Bland. Bland. Thank you for taking care of the Satterfields. Yeah. And thank you for doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I know that he gets his time in the, in the spotlight and he gets a lot of this money too. Yeah. But you know what? Yeah. You did the right thing. Thank yeah. you. If he gets $3 million out of that six and a half or whatever the number ends up finally being, it uh, it'll be a lot more that the 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 Satterfield boys wouldn't have gotten any of that. Well, and Eric Bland is quoted saying, you know, the only good thing Corey Fleming ever did was he did win that money for the boys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He did. 
He did. And they apparently just didn't spend it all. Never saw it. <laughs> they just yeah. never saw it. <laughs> and it is, and it was stated too that uh, court documents show that Fleming, his kickbacks, you know, in the excess of six figures were used to pay for his mortgage, large credit card debts, the IRS, and to purchase music on iTunes and video games. Yeah, it was over $600,000, right? That he ended up with. Yeah, and it it's funny that they, uh, it just, you know, itemized all the things he spent the money on, included iTunes and video games. Good Lord. <laughs> oh, it's a good lawyer make, trying to make another lawyer look like as big a piece of crap as possible, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, you are trying to get a bunch of money back out of his pocket that mm-hmm. he took illegally. I don't but think you, it was very hard to make these... People no, bad. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, but it, it just makes you wonder why would he do it? And it did show that he was in some debt. It looked like, and he needed money to pay off some well, bills. Well, and, and I just, I don't know. I'm curious to know what you guys think as we wrap this up. But I mean, the walls of the the walls of insulation were so thick in this part of South Carolina that nobody, everybody who was involved in the legal system, felt comfortable taking advantage of the legal system. At least that's what it seems like, because mm-hmm. it would have taken judges looking the other way. Yes. Uh, to sign some of those uh, uh, settlements that yes. made it through. This wasn't just one guy or two guys. This was a dozens of people, or at least half a dozen people. And mm-hmm. that's one thing that Bland says is, uh, in one of the uh, uh, podcasts that I listened to, he said, look, the state of South Carolina looks really bad right now. The good news is our legal system bent, but it did not break. And now the light of day is on the Murdoch family and Hampton County and it's, it's going to get fixed. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, I mean, we had the same thing happen here in Cherokee County 25 years ago. I mean, there was just a bunch of crooks with their thumbs in the wrong holes and it took a, a, a huge blow up to get it cleaned up and it happens sometimes and it's happening in Hampton, South Carolina right now. I think 25 years is a stretch on when that uh, happened. It's, yeah, but- <laughs> it's more like 20. Yeah, it's more like 20 years ago. Well, and, and this, with Hampton County, this is, if you dig into the Gloria Satterfield case and you dig into mm-hmm. Alec Murdoch, this is not the first time this had happened, that they had run this this kind of oh, game. No. And I don't know if it was all the exact same players, but Alec Murdoch had done this before yeah. to another family. The, uh, in the 20, method, was it 2011, I believe? Yeah, the, the particular methods morphed over time. The, the uh, creation of the Forge... Uh, the mm-hmm. fake forge company that mimicked the forge consulting. That was something that uh, morphed over time into something that became a cleaner way to, to wash their dirty money. Yes. And they're even um, digging present day back to 2011, 2009. The they're number looking... I saw was like 2010 and it's over $9 million. I was now. about to say, yeah. I've, I've seen 8.4. So. Okay. That's it. 8.4. And, and the, the thing is there is a, um, um, a three-year statute of limitations, but that comes into play whenever a reasonable person would be able to know Discovers that this is happening. Discovers the crime. Yes. So it's, it doesn't, that doesn't happen from the time that uh, the crime occurs. It's when a reasonable person would realize or recognize the crime. I know I'm quoting the, the law a little bit wrong, but no, um, no, I see what it's, you mean. it's a long, that's kind of paraphrasing. So yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean that they won't be able to file just because it was in 2009 right. and 2011. That's the reason. If I'm we just that. found out about it, now the clock, now we turn now over the sun. Now it starts the, ticking. The, yes. Yeah. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Right. The statute of limitations starts coming into now play. Now we turn over the hourglass and you've got three years. That's right. Right. So um, you guys may be thinking, wow, that is a lot. And you still have more um We're drinking Wednesdays. out of a fire hose this week. Right. And you still have more Wednesdays to drop episodes in the mm-hmm. month of May. And, and Kelly, you said this was going to be Murdoch May. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just getting started. Yeah, this is some level of nuts that you can't even imagine. No. Next week. I don't want to say anything unless you claw my eyes out for giving away the ghosts. So you go ahead. Next week, we're going to uh, continue our coverage of this saga. Um, we're dipping our toe in. We we can't even do all of this in a month. No, we can't uh-uh. cover everything. No, not really. We're going to give you a nice, good outline, and then you can go dive into these other podcasts, dive into this fitsnews.com, take a look at all of these articles, and uh, learn about the Murdochs for yourself. I know that uh, Kevin Green did that this past week. He was he, texting us. He came to see me at the office this morning, and his first words were, holy crap, and he doesn't even say crap, but he said <laughs> crap this morning. <laughs> He's like, ah, there's too much information. I can't help it. I can't stop. I'm just going to keep doing this. What are you guys talking about tonight? And I gave him a little bit of a hint. Mm-hmm. And he said he couldn't wait to uh, listen to us on Wednesday when this drops. So I know. It's just, it's crazy stuff. So stay tuned, everybody. And the easiest way for him to get there would be to go to truecrimeoneasystreet.com and click the first button at the very top. That will take you right to your favorite streaming platform of choice. You can find a, an entire list of everything that we've got going on. You can find out about Katie and Kelly and me. And you can buy a t-shirt if you like. That was a beautiful work in, Scott. Oh, thank you. That was that was professional <laughs> right there. That was not mediocre at all. I don't know. Well, you know what? Watch me screw this up. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>